Welcome to the Jay Kim Show. This is your host, Jay Kim. I am an investor, author, and fitness entrepreneur. And for the first time in Asia, I sit down with the world's most brilliant minds in business, investing, and entrepreneurship. You'll learn all the secrets, strategies, and formulas to becoming a successful entrepreneur directly from the masters. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insight to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. Today's guest is David Chang of MindWorks Ventures. MindWorks is one of Hong Kong's few rising star venture capital firms, which invests in startups in the Series A stage and beyond. David is a born and bred venture capitalist whose father was also a well-known VC in Silicon Valley. Today, he shares his advice on how to invest in startups, exactly how to look at a pitch deck, where he believes the opportunities will be in Asia within the next five years, and which company in his portfolio is on the verge of becoming Hong Kong's first unicorn. Let's get right into the show. David, thank you so much for being on the show. This is the Jay Kim Show, where we profile the world-class uh, business minds, investors, and entrepreneurs. And I'm happy to say that we have uh, one of Hong Kong's sort of uh, homegrown talents, uh, sort of homegrown talents, but definitely one of Hong Kong's rising stars, David Chang, on the call with us today. And he is over at MindWorks Ventures. David, thank you for joining us. Can you please tell our audience uh, a little bit about what you do? Jay, thank you for inviting me uh, to the show. I'm very honored to do to do so. So I'm David Chang. I founded MindWorks Ventures in Hong Kong. We are a Hong Kong-based VC. We are early stage investor. Typically, we're stage agnostic, but we tend to focus on Series A and Series B investments across the Southeast Asia and Greater China region. And um, wh- how did you get into early stage investing? Uh, wh- what's your background? So I started my career as a uh, in finance, as a coverage banker. I started in Morgan Stanley, then I moved to Credit Suisse, and then I moved to uh, Guoxin Securities, which is a uh, local China investment bank based off of Shenzhen, headquarters in Shenzhen. And I helped open the office in Hong Kong, mainly to cover the TMT sector, uh, the growing TMT sector back in the uh, 2009, 2010, and 2011. So that is when I came in contact with a lot of uh, rising, um, I would say, rising startups coming out from China, especially from the south, uh, southern side in, in Beijing and, uh, and uh, Shenzhen. So through those networks, I started to deploy my limited personal capital as an angel investor to some of these companies. I see. Okay, so that's where you sort of learned the ropes. Now, had you had any sort of contact with early stage investing, Silicon Valley, any experience uh, whatsoever before that? Or was it just a sort of a personal passion side project that you decided to to risk your own capital and and pay, I guess, tuition, so to speak, to learn? No, no, no. Definitely uh, this other way around. We, I, since I was a kid, I've been exposed to venture capital investing uh, during the early 1990s. Mm. Uh, my father, our big venture capitalist back in the Bay Area, I was actually born in the Bay Area and came back to there Hong Kong. Yeah, I was born in the Bay Area. I came back to Hong Kong for local schooling and went back to the Bay Area for high school and college. So throughout that, uh, spending time in California, I spent about 11 years in California. And throughout the whole time, uh, my family, especially through my father, uh, have been constantly looking at deals and investing in a lot of early stage startups based in Bay Area. 
I see. Okay, so was your father, I mean, along the way, was he helping you out, kind of showing you the ropes? Would you use him as sort of an advisor on some of the, the things you were looking at when you were just trading your private uh, capital? Uh, definitely. He was at all times and still my advisor. Um, he's a very great individual and very disciplined uh, in his investing methods and methodologies. And I learned a great deal from him since the beginning. And is he still involved in, in venture capital today? No, he's not. He's, uh, he's semi-retired, but uh, I can't say he's fully retired because he does try to <laughs> put his nose into some of my projects from time to time. <laughs> yeah. As many parents like to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some interesting uh, trivia or facts about my father is that hmm. after he graduated from uh, Berkeley, he went to work as an analyst in Wall Street. He worked for mm -hmm. a company called Hayden Stone. Hmm. Sitting next to him as an analyst in Hayden Stone was an individual called Arthur Rock. Yeah, so sitting next to him was the grandfather or the creator of uh, the term venture capital. He was the first venture capitalist in the world who backed um, the Traitorous Eight or the Fairchild uh, Semiconductors mm -hmm. um, since in the early 70s. And that's an that's interesting piece of history that my father someone knew this gentleman, Arthur Rock, before he came to California and started uh, investing in Fairchild Semiconductor, which went on to become Intel, HP, Amazon, etc. Right, right. And then spread out through all those uh, early uh, tech companies. So that's very interesting. So before venture capital, the word, it, the, the phrase even existed. Your father was colleagues with the guy who invented it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay, so along your journey then, you're investing, you're still in finance as a banker, you're working, setting up a shop here, but then you're private investing, mm -hmm. let's say, uh, with your pri private capital. Uh, at what point did you say, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty, doing pretty good at this. What were your metrics? You know, when did you decide, okay, you know what, I want to do this full time. I want to look for outside investment. I, I think I can do this. Yeah, one of the, um, the pitiful point was uh, after a year working in Gosen, I deployed some capital into this uh, early P2P lending company in China. Mm. Within six months. I, actually, I returned my capital, I exited, and it yielded me about 4.5 times, 4.5x return. Wow. So that was fairly good, and I was very happy with it. And I decided to quit my job and try to focus on investing my personal capital mm. uh, uh, full-time. At some point, uh, I actually wanted to move back to California and right. just, just to reconnect. So you had a, you had a, a nice exit. And gave you a little bit of confidence. And so now you were like, okay, if I can actually break off full time and do this, then I can probably be even perhaps have better returns and, and really focused on this full time. And then so tell us about a little bit about the about this early stage investing environment in China, because I know it's quite different than perhaps some people might imagine and, and certainly different than how it is in the West in, in Silicon Valley. What are the nuances of China? Is it, uh, it seems like it's very much connection-based and who you know as how to get into these deals. How, what was your experience? It's extremely clicky. Mm. It's much more clicky than I would say in the U.S. And the only way to source good deals at early stage is if you are working within these, these social circles. And it's, and it's all about you know, WeChat linking up one another con consistently. Mm. Uh, to give an example, um, one of my leads or the way I got into this circle was that I, I was covering Kingsoft, a, a very successful mm -hmm. listed company in, in, in China. Sure. 
and I work with their C levels quite well, including the CFO Francis, who who is who's still the uh, uh, CFO of Kingsoft. So through him, I met a lot of these ex Kingsoft middle managers mm. who've decided to um, to come out to start their own business because at that time. Um, all the C-levels or the original founders of, you know, Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent, Kingsoft, they made it big. It's proven that internet is a sustainable business. But a lot of these middle managers are just realizing that. So that is the one the time a lot of these middle managers decided to come out from these companies with their uh, own personal network and try to get uh, their feet off the ground. Right. And they have to approach us for funding because at that time, they, we were the only few investors that they know from their, from their network. Right. So you were sort of like there's there must have been like a conglomerate a, a group of, I guess, uh, private investors that that were well known within these circles that they could turn to and tap uh, for funding, right? Yes, right. yes, and it's among a visa, it's among a uh, WeChat group. There's many WeChat groups. That's, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's 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 a cool uh, nuance of of China. It's it's. Um, it's networking in a slightly different way, but uh, but it's definitely powerful, absolutely powerful, and and particularly when the country was going through such a rapid change uh, in in yep. all in all aspects, um, and things can change overnight, you know, and connections that you have can are very fluid as well. So um, to be able to link up on a, on a WeChat group and be able to actually print deals is pretty cool. Um, so what year then did you secure sort of outside external funding and decide to launch MindWorks Ventures? It was the end of 2013. Okay. Um, that was when I was approached by uh, our UK partners that they have a group of investors want to have exposure, extremely high network family, family offices based in Europe that they want to have exposure in Asia tech. Mm. But most of these family offices, since they're based in Europe, are quite, uh, they're not too familiar with the market uh, in China. Right. And they don't want to go into the market themselves. It's very tricky to get connection or get right. deals, first of all. And just structuring and getting to these deals into China, it's a, it's, it's a very painful process. So they would rather work with a fund and our professionally managed uh, entity Right. to get the exposure into China. So that's when we decided to form MindWorks Ventures as a, uh, as a product for these investors to have access to Chinese technology companies. Right. And then, and but then you decided to move to Hong Kong to set up shop. Yes. Uh, it's just a legal framework uh, hmm. in Hong Kong. It's much more understandable. And also, if you get outside funding, it's, hard, it's easy to move money into China. Yep. But uh, on the way out, it's, it's much tougher. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So we have special structures in place with VIE or setting up a uh, a, a Sino JV in Tianhai, which is mm -hmm. another area yep. in, in China, uh, to secure equity stakes, basically. Interesting. Okay, so this was all in 2013, right? That you set uh, end of 2013. End of 2013. Okay, so so let's talk about a little bit about the early stage ecosystem here in Hong Kong. So when I I first moved to Hong Kong in 2005, and basically it was nascent. There was nothing, and then Right around 2010, there was a little bit of spark, some interest. Um, you know, people are starting to hear about some of these Silicon Valley companies, and they were trying to. China was slightly opening up, um, but still, the startup ecosystem here in Hong Kong very nascent, uh, very non-existent, not a lot of uh, very siloed uh, and and fragmented. And then fast forward now, probably six seven years later, we have uh, you know there's sort of um, 
like I said earlier, there's some rising stars such as yourself, you know, Alan Chan over at Vector Ventures. You have the likes of, you know, Nest and, and Fresco Capital and, and Spectrum 28. I want to talk about, you know, we, we talked about this the other day at dinner, actually, um, the differences between Hong Kong as a startup uh, hub and a place to build a company versus, say, Singapore, which is also a very attractive option that a lot of entrepreneurs look at, mainly because of the government support that they get. Uh, and you had a very interesting point. So why don't you tell us your views on the difference between Hong Kong and Singapore and why you think that Hong Kong is actually better? Yep, Hong Kong is definitely better. Uh, Hong Kong's ecosystem is less crowded than Singapore. That's number one. Mm. Number two, uh, getting too much support from the government is not a good thing. So I have instructions to my team in my words. I told them that uh, we will stop looking at any early stage investments made out of Singapore. <laughs> because <laughs> strictly because they're getting so, so much support from the government and private sector that bad founders, fun, uh, bad teams and bad business models are getting funded left and right. So what uh, you see in Singapore is a lot of these early stage companies are they're stuck in this nimble stage. They're unable to raise a big round. Business model just doesn't work. Mm. And you become overcrowded with early stage uh, proposals coming into, you know, for my works as a VC, and it just takes too much effort to cut through all the noise. Right. First, first is in Hong Kong. Hong Kong, because we do not get much, much support from the government or from the private sector, that company in, uh, tech companies in Hong Kong, and they want, they need to figure out how to monetize and get the top line numbers up. Right. So it creates a natural filter for yep. us as a VC to see companies, oh, when they come to Series A, most of them are ready, revenue generating. Right. That's that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's a good way of, of it's a good perspective, actually. And, um, you know, one of the reasons is the high uh, sort of cost of living, primarily rent and property uh, driving that uh, that high cost. But for a startup, it's like, it's exactly like you said, it's, it's natural selection, right? Survival yes. of the fittest. You have to, uh, if you can't survive here, uh, you know, that's the natural weed out. You're not going to survive further around. So um, very interesting perspective. You know, a lot of investors will pitch or entrepreneurs will tell me, oh, I'm going to Singapore because it is the gateway of Southeast Asia. That is simply untrue. That is not true. Singapore is not the gateway to Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia is consistent of 11 countries, 11 different cultures. And some of them, they don't get along with each other, including Singapore and their neighbors. So in Hong Kong, it's a gateway to China because we speak the same language, written-wise, and culturally, we're the same. Right. So, yeah. Okay, so let's say, let's say I'm an uh, investor, um, and I want to get, get some advice from, from uh, a pro like yourself. Okay, many people that go into early-stage investing don't have a, a clue what they're doing and I, my, I'm guilty of it myself I'm, I'll be the first to admit you know five ten years ago when I started angel investing I wasted I burned a lot of money you know they say you probably have a I don't know there's there's all these analogies you know you're better off throwing your money in the in trash can than <laughs> trying to figure out how to angel invest and I quickly realized that which is why I stepped back and I started investing into VCs that actually knew what they're doing for a living, you know. But, you know, I mean, this whole early stage investing gets massively glamorized by, by um, you know, you watch one movie, The Social Network, and you think that you can pick the next Facebook and you'll be, you know, the next billionaire or whatever. So why don't you, let's take a step back and let's talk about if I'm an investor, uh, somewhat of a novice investor, but I still want to get, I want to be active in this space. Um, and I'm looking in Asia what advice would you give to someone that's looking in 
Asia in general? What what pockets should they be looking at? Should they even dare step foot into China? Is there any you know easy directions that you can give them uh, early early things to look at uh, when they're trying to dabble in early stage investing at this point? Definitely. Although first of all, number one rule. Like you said, if you're going to do early stage investing, put in a VC. I would recommend that off, right off the bat. Mm -hmm. Second, definitely go into China. If you are a VC investor, the return you're looking for is 100, 1,000x return. Right. And able to get that is a large market such as China. So the only, way, the only reason why you should do VC is for exposure into China or at a region like Southeast Asia, mm. which I believe is a much harder not to crack than just going to China alone. That's second. Third, I think... My advice to you know more like beginner investors or early stage investors is to first to look at the presentation, take the presentation and start from the last page. Hmm. Look at how big the market size is. Right. If that number is big, then we can start talking into the macro, uh, micro level, which is the company financials and the verticals they're in within this with this market. The reason why we like the logistics market a lot is because it's simply such a huge market. With 1.7 trillion, uh, and it's 15% of the GDP of China. Wow! So it's much much easier to look at that versus something like a niche market, saying that uh, you want to sell on demand coffee beans or, or such as that. Right? right. So always look at how big the market size is and work in reverse order. Hmm. Identify a good company or a vertical within that market, then look then look for your founders to be able to execute that. Right. Right. Okay. Um, that's, that's cool advice. That's uh, sound advice. Um, so, okay. So now, now that you've given that advice, let's flip the script a bit and let's talk about what all of our startup founders out there listening to this podcast are waiting to hear. Okay. You want to get on the desk of David Chang. You want your deck to land on his desk. What is the best way for a startup founder to pitch a VC like such as yourself, you know, what 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 advice would you give to a startup founder? Um, you know, and specifically, maybe you can talk a little bit about what sectors you guys look at specifically at MindWorks, um, and you know what you look for in a you know good product versus say a fundable product. Very good. That's a very good point. First of all, you differentiate in, between investable companies mm. or founders company. Right. Meaning that some of the companies out there are great for the founder, good cash flow, but as a VC, it's just uninvestable because you're not unable to. We don't see that we're able a hundred times our money. Okay? Right. That's that's number one. Second, I think uh, the advice for entrepreneurs is for them to prove that, uh, simply put, they're able to generate GP gross profit. Mm -hmm. So we prove that to us that you're able to generate some sort of gross profit. I'm not talking about top. I'm not talking about revenue. GP is the critical number we look at nowadays, and see how we are able to scale scale from that. Meaning that if I would give a million dollars, are you able to take that million dollars and, and direct translate it to enhance your GP or gross profit? Hmm. I think that's the main argument. Most of these founders approach us either they're too early stage or they do not have a way to monetize. Right, and the reason. The reason why is because they also are in the in, usually they're in a market that's extremely overcrowded. That's uh, either that or it, it's just a not there's no product fit or there's no actually no product demand for it. Right, right, makes sense. So from your perspective, you are you you're a Series A and beyond investor or Series A and B predominantly investor. Um, you like 
mark big market ideas um much more that's much more important to you than say a founder's personality or or their or sort of betting on the jockey type of thing if if they don't, if the ideal isn't scalable to 100,000 x then then it's not in your uh, sort of data set that you would consider consideration set, so to speak. So, uh, having said that, okay, so you're you're sitting on the VC level. How do you view the funding environment currently? Like, how has it changed? I mean, with the likes of crowdfunding platforms such as AngelList out there, where uh, where people can actually come in and burn their cash and throw it in the, in the <laughs> trash can. Um, you know, do you see a shift? Uh, going on in the future in, say, next five, ten years? Or do you think that this is just a little bit of a fad uh, and eventually it'll still revert back to traditional the VC uh, investing model? I think it will revert, but not as much. It won't reset back to zero. Meaning that um, I think early stage angel, like for example, angel list model or crowdfunding or equity funding, um, it hasn't been hyped up way too much for the previous years. Mm. Um, I would say with confidence about 98% of these funded startups will fail yep. uh, just because based on equity crowdfunding, there's so much investors in it. None of them are willing to you know, put in some uh, workload to help the company grow. But other than capital, you must, as, a, as an investor, you have to uh, you know, give them relationship or soft skill sets to, to be able to help them scale. To us as a Series A and Series B investors, we love equity crowdfunding. We love early stage investors coming to market. Uh, it's just because simply they will help us, like again, scale our targeted companies to business. Right. And another unspoken rule that my team follows is that the companies that we invest in, they must have raised at least 1 to 1.5 million US before they come to us. I see. Yeah, we want to uh, take the risk, basically offload the risk to these earlier stage investors in the market, which we see is being extremely overcrowded. Mm. Like you said earlier, Jay, like I know it's like uh, people read a lot of TechCrunch, they see phenomenal companies growing from, you know, seed investments, but that is probably one out of, you know, uh, 10,000 companies. Yeah, yep. you're absolutely right. Yeah, And it, it's good. Um, I, I, I thank um, all these early investors in the market. <laughs> <laughs> and basically help us offload our risk. And yeah. what's happened in Hong Kong is that there's a lot of family offices that try to do the, first of all, they try to do the right thing. It's great because they try to be more socially responsible. And most of them will have some sort of a venture capital on. Simply yeah. because everybody's doing it. If this family's doing it, might as well my family to have one. And also they're like, a, also they work, they function like a very, like a club as well. Since, this guy is in it, I will all put our money in as well. That's right. So it creates this mini bubble within the Hong Kong ecosystem for seed or friends and family around stage. That's true. That's true. Uh, I've actually experienced that myself, um, looking at a few of these quote-unquote club-type deals myself. Um, but I, I like how you say, you know, I you welcome the angel guys coming in and the seed guys because they do de-risk your investment uh, when it gets to it's just just like uh, Hong Kong versus Singapore you know it's one less risk that you can take off uh, the table which is important right so um, looking forward where what you you've you've mentioned earlier today on our call that you know China is definitely an area that you uh, see growth in in the future in early stage investing and startups uh, 
and perhaps some more f further growth in the region, uh, you know, Southeast Asia. Where do you see the, uh, the best opportunities in Asia in the next five to 10 years? Definitely Southeast Asia. I would say Vietnam, Thailand, yep. and Myanmar will be on my top three on my list of opportunities coming up from uh, tech opportunities coming from these markets. Interesting. For example, Vietnam, they have the youngest Democrats out of all the countries in Southeast Asia. Their English proficiency is one of the highest, if not like the same par, a little bit, maybe a little bit lower than Singapore. So, and internet penetration, it's still at about low 60s across the region. Hmm. So what's ha what's, what's, what I'm saying is about 200 million people or about, let's say, 230 million people is coming online, online in, the next, yeah. uh, in the next, let's say, three to four years. Uh, I think that's a huge potential uh, untapped market that you know uh, you're able to able to get, and most importantly is the valuations that they're asking for, especially in Thailand, Vietnam, Myanmar. It's very very low, yeah, because there's no other players in it. Right. Indonesia is different. Every single VC, every single Chinese uh, VC or Southeast Asia VC wants to have a piece of Indonesia. Simply saying that because of the sheer population size, right. We, we don't see it like that. We believe Indonesia is also very overvalued uh, currently. Uh, it's also a very fragmented market. Hmm. If, if you ever go to Indonesia, you'll understand that 80% uh, of, of, of commerce or e-commerce uh, happens in Jakarta. Hmm. Everywhere else outside of Indonesia, it's very fragmented and just not connected. Right. Yeah. And what about China specifically, where, where you sort of have expertise as well? China is good. I'm still positive in China, but I'll wait for a bit. I'll probably we'll start looking for deals again at end of Q2 this year, uh, mainly because uh, Chinese investors are getting really smart now, and so just throwing money into any O2O. The hottest term for the last two years is O2O. Anything yeah. O2O, you'll make a you're able to generate a lot of cash. Yeah. But also, uh, also more than ninety percent of these O2O companies that's bankrupt or just simply closed down. Because the business model does not sustain itself. So we'll wait for a little bit, six more months, to let some of these companies reset and let uh, investors realize that they actually need to generate revenue to be an actual business. <laughs> shocking, right? Yeah, it's shocking. Yeah, it's a very simple concept. We don't get yeah. So there's always a saying in Chinese. Uh, it's called uh, That means if you can make your own gross profit, you're the king. Mm. So... Well, there's, there's truth to that, that's for sure. Okay, and how about, uh, and you, I'm not sure how, how, uh, how free you are to talk about this, but are, are there one or two companies in, within your portfolio, portfolio companies of yours, that you are most excited about, that you are able to talk about? Um, I, I think there are a few, but I think the one that I can't able to talk about because it's public information, mm -hmm. it's obviously Lala Move, the company mm -hmm. that we raised $30 million yep. for. It's also to prove to entrepreneurs out there that you can't start from Hong Kong from nothing to become a multi, to, to become a unicorn. Yeah, we're very close to become a unicorn validation. The lot of move started three years ago from zero. Wow. Now we are at forty-seven cities across China, and last month December's revenue was a twelve million dollar US monthly revenue. Amazing. That's great. Yeah, that's that's definitely one to look out for. Um, I I remember when uh, when when GoGoVan was was getting started off as well, and uh, 
And then Lala Move just came out of nowhere and basically overtook them. <laughs> um, yeah, it comes down to the fi- it comes down to the financial numbers at the end. Yeah, for us investors, yeah, it was an easy decision. <laughs> That's great. Uh, congratulations on that uh, on that funding round, by the way. Um, well, listen, David, thanks a lot. Um, we're, we're, we we got to look to wrap up here. So um, I just want to ask you, you know, two more questions. Uh, the first is. What sort of uh, advice would you give to perhaps an early stage investor uh, that is not as seasoned as yourself looking to invest in Asia? Uh, or, or it could be advice to a startup founder looking to f- fundraise uh, from a VC such as yourself. Uh, that's the first question. And the second question is simply, where can people find you, follow you, and learn a little bit more about MindWorks Ventures? Please go on our website, mindworks.vc. Very simple domain name. Mm-hmm. My email is david at mindworks.vc. I'll answer all the emails, and I appreciate any entrepreneurs or founders to email me just to chit-chat. Wow, very very generous of your time. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm open to the ecosystem. Um, one advice I'll give to young entrepreneurs is that when you give us a presentation, please have a roadmap for a regional focus. Please don't tell us you want to be number one of Hong Kong. It's uh, something that we have been hearing a lot frequently. They say, well, we want to be Hong Kong's biggest or Singapore blah, 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 biggest. Mm. It doesn't really appeal to us as VC investors. It might appeal to your friends and family, but not to us. Right. When you come to us, we have a roadmap, say, well, in two years, this is what we'll build up. It's going to work in this region. This is why. We should be lucky that you're in Hong Kong because you have Southeast Asia on your left and China on top of you. Right. All right. There's the advice for you guys, founders of startups out there. Think big, think regional, think global uh, when you're going into pitch, David. Dave, thanks for, so much for your time. I really appreciate it. We had a great time on the show and I uh, really appreciate all the words of advice you've given. Thank you, Jay. Always, always a pleasure. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. I'd love to hear your comments. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer, J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you guys next week. This podcast is brought to you by Hack Your Fitness, the high achiever's guide to getting ripped in under three hours a week. If you're anything like me, you're probably working a full-time job or jobs and trying to find time to balance family life, social life, and last but not least, fitness. Look, I get it. I'm a full-time investor and entrepreneur myself and father of two. So how am I able to stay fit year-round without spending hours and hours in the gym killing myself on the cardio machine? After struggling for the last 15 years trying every workout and diet under the sun, I finally designed a system that allows me to achieve and maintain single-digit body fat for life in under 3 hours a week. Cardio not required. Head on over to hackyour.fitness and download my free 13-page guide that teaches you the simple science behind efficient fitness and smart nutrition and gives you everything you need to know to finally take control of your life. That's hackyour.fitness.